everybody welcome back to Witch Fix. Today we're looking at Circe by Madeline Miller and I bought this book in an actual bookshop because I knew it was going to be good and I bought it a while ago like when it first came out uh, and I didn't get around to reading it for a long time because I'd read her previous novel The Song of Achilles for my degree course and it had been um, absolutely amazing, phenomenal but also heart-wrenching and, and kind of depressing in, in places so I wanted to wait until I was in a good frame of mind and apparently that frame of mind was this week because I powered through and had a great old time. Now I might have mentioned before in an episode or another but I did classics A-level and a lot of that was focused on the Iliad so when I read Song of Achilles I kind of knew the basic players and the story and what was going to happen. However, in GCSE classics, which I did not take, everyone at my school um, who did take it did the Odyssey, which is the, the epic poem in which Circe is featured. Um, so I missed out on that and I did not have as much of an idea of the plot of this going into it, although it does match up with several other legends along the way. Having experience like both knowing the plot and not knowing the plot before reading a Madeleine Miller novel I have to say that it, the experience isn't really that different um, because you do get like quite a lot of foreshadowing and stuff throughout the book but I think I enjoyed it much more not knowing what was going to happen and sort of having that played out and it certainly helps that quite a lot of the myths that are sort of dealt with and brought into this story have many different forms there's for example like different myths around who Circe's parents are and different myths surrounding the creation of the Minotaur and you're not aren't really sure until you get to that point in the novel which myth and which interpretation we're going to go with so even if you do know one version of the myth you might not be able to predict the plot of the book so Circe then the actual novel um Obviously, I think in popular culture, a lot of people are aware of the story of the Odyssey, at least, you know, the, the bit that has Circe in it, where she turns Odysseus's men into pigs. And that is sort of a, a, an element of the story, a, a key point, a turning point in the novel, but not, I would say, probably the most important thing that happens. I'm going to trigger warn because obviously this is dealing with a lot of Greek myths. There's a, there's a lot of sexual assault in a lot of Greek myths. Uh, so there is that. So if you're going to read the book, beware that there is quite a graphic scene in there of that. And the whole novel does have kind of a, like a feminist take throughout uh, a lot of sort of things that marry into a lot of feminist issues. So I very much enjoyed that. So the story of Circe then is a story of kind of an underdog for the first half of the novel. We see from her birth that she is not particularly... Uh, well received by her her parents one of whom is Helios the sun god and she she doesn't really live up she, she's not really valued by him and she has three subsequent siblings and doesn't get on with any of them and so her early life is, is full of quite a lot of being downtrodden and being picked on until she discovers this power because she's a nymph she isn't like a uh, one of the main gods with like great godly powers uh, but she does discover that she has her own unique power as do her three siblings and that is the power of witchcraft they are the first witches to have existed and the sort of definition of witchcraft in this is people who can take plants and with their own will make things happen 
So she has that power, which is a new and terrifying thing to both the Titan gods, who she's kind of born into, and the Olympian gods, who are posed against them. Uh, so th there's a lot of upheaval in the early part of the novel as she comes to grips with this power, and we see a lot of different stories pulled into her narrative for example the creation of Scylla the the giant sea monster which sits opposite Charybdis is like a a sailor's nightmare of an area and eventually she does end up on her island which is where she is in the Odyssey then the story keeps going and I, I kind of kept going past the point at which I thought it would I thought it would kind of end with her encountering Odysseus because I thought you know that's quite an important moment but that is really sort of the midpoint of the novel and from there things get a lot more complicated there's a lot more uncertainty and the conclusion was very rewarding and I thoroughly enjoyed this book I found it incredible I found it very emotionally effective I couldn't read large portions of it without having to go away and have a think um, and I was sad when it was over which is always a good sign of a, a really good novel I also loved, and this is sort of throughout the whole book, the very idea of witchcraft and the way that it was talked about. So, for example, on page 59, um, Circe is kind of discussing this talent for sorcery with her brother, uh, who kind of grows up and grows away from her and becomes very cold and very uh, unpleasant. But she basically asks him because she is new to this power of sorcery and witchcraft, and this is like, I guess, kind of like the second spell that she's ever done. Uh, she asked him to help her because he seems to have more of a grasp on this. She says, What is it you spoke when you healed my skin? A word of power. Will you teach it to me? Sorcery cannot be taught. You find it yourself or you do not. I think that's kind of largely right. It sort of harkens back to an idea that I'm very passionate about, the intuitive nature of witchcraft, in that in many cultures all over the world, at different times throughout time, people have had practices that look quite similar. So it doesn't really stand to reason to me that the only way that you could find out like how to be a witch and how to practice witchcraft is by buying a book that someone else has written about it or being lineaged to a family that can teach you or joining a coven that will teach you. It's something that anyone can find because it's just intuitive. It's something intrinsic to human nature, the practice of witchcraft. And I really liked the, the way that that was put forth in the book, the way that Cersei initially thinks that these plants that she's using are magical, which they kind of are in their own right. They are made from the blood of gods that was spilled on the land. She thinks that it's them that's doing it. And while they are definitely helping, it is her who is shaping the intent of the spell and creating from it, although with slightly unpredictable results. So you sort of see her discovering witchcraft through her own endeavours and that's a really nice point in the story you see her finding this power and then later on you see her grow into it and begin to use it in an incredibly commanding way and part of that was on page 72 73 which i've marked because i kind of want to photocopy this and put it into my herbiary because it lines up so well with sort of personal experiences of working with herbs i think that's really what i connected with most in the book um but also with just general wisdom uh, and here it is. I 
had a little pride, as I have said, and that was good. More would have been fatal. Let me say what sorcery is not. It is not divine power, which comes with a thoughts in a blink. It must be made and worked, planned and searched out, dug up, dried, chopped and ground, cooked, spoken over and sung. Even after all that, it can fail, as gods do not. If my herbs are not fresh enough, if my attention falters, if my will is weak, the draughts go stale and rancid in my hands. By rights, I should never have come to witchcraft. Gods hate all toil, it is their nature. The closest we come is weaving or smithing, but these things are skills, and there is no drudgery to them. Since all the parts that might be unpleasant are taken away with power, the wool is dyed not with stinking vats and stirring spoons, but with a snap. There is no tedious mining, the oars leap willingly from the mountain, no fingers are ever chafed, no muscles strained. Witchcraft is nothing but such drudgery. Each herb must be found in its den, harvested at its time, grubbed up from the dirt, culled and stripped, washed and prepared. It must be handled this way and then that, to find out where its power lies. Day upon patient day, you must throw out your errors and begin again. So why did I not mind? Why did none of us mind? I cannot speak for my brothers and sister, but my answer is easy. For a hundred generations, I had walked the world, drowsy and dull, idle and at my ease. I had left no prince, I did no deeds, even those who had loved me a little did not care to stay. Then I learned that I could bend the world to my will, as a bow is bent for an arrow. I could have done that toil a thousand times to keep such power in my hands. I thought, this is how Zeus felt when he first lifted the thunderbolt. At first, of course, all I brewed were mistakes, drafts that did nothing, pace that crumbled and lay dead on the table. I thought that if some rue was good, more was better, that ten herbs mixed were superior to five, that I could let my mind wander and the spell would not wander with it, that I could begin making one draught and halfway through decide to make another. I did not know even the simplest herb law that any mortal would learn at her mother's knee, that wart plants boiled make a sort of soap, that you burnt in the hearth sent up a choking smog, that poppies had sleep in their veins and hellebore death and yarrow would close over wounds. All these things had to be worked and learned through errors and trials, burnt fingers and fetid clouds that sent me running outside to cough in the garden. At least I thought in those early days, once I cast a spell, I would not have to learn it again. But even that was not true. However often I had used a herb before, each cutting had its own character. One rose would give up its secrets if it were ground, another must be pressed, a third steeped. Each spell was a mountain to be climbed anew. All I could carry with me from last time was the knowledge that it could be done. I really like that passage. I read it several times when I passed it, and I think it is the perfect way to kind of sum up intuitive witchcraft and to talk about how we discover things and how things were originally discovered before they were mass marketed and produced in many, many, many paperbacks. Obviously, there are now some kind of cheat codes, if you will. You can just pick up Scott Cunningham's Book of Herbs and learn quite a bit about herbal. You don't have to learn it from one specific person or just be that person who has to discover it for themselves but you still have to find what works for you and you still have to feel out those few kind of rules and things that determine what will work for you and i'm not talking about like universal rules but just general rules that you feel are correct and i'll give an example because I understand why I'm saying is quite weird and, and kind of difficult for me to put into words, but the example is that when I first got into like cooking uh, and I would like put herbs and spices and things and just trying to work out 
what went together based on like cooking shows and stuff that I'd seen. I had this kind of feeling that certain things didn't go together and I kind of described it as mixing pantheons of spices. Uh, so for example, if you're going to put like sage or rosemary on lamb, you probably don't want to add cinnamon because in my head those things just don't go together. Maybe that would be lovely, I don't know. But you've got these kind of like herbs which are very kind of green and leafy and then you've got cinnamon which is very woody and spicy. They come from completely different places. Like obviously in places where cinnamon grows you could probably also grow rosemary and sage. But from my point of view as someone who lives in England, sage and rosemary come from the garden and cinnamon comes from a jar from somewhere really far away that sent it to Tesco. So I just can't get those things to work together. And when I started making my like own incenses and my own spells, if I was making like a money spell and I was putting in like cinnamon and ginger, I wouldn't then add the green leafy thing because it doesn't feel like that goes in there. And I can't really describe it. I didn't read that in any book. It's just something that I feel and that has always kind of steered me one way rather than another. And I kind of like that as it was reflected in this book, the understanding of what it must be like to discover witchcraft as one of the first witches who has ever come across this power is wonderfully captured in this novel. And I think if you are a witch or like practicing witchcraft, that's one of the things that you're going to really enjoy about it. Another thing that I really enjoyed about the presentation of witchcraft is that Cersei describes it as something you are never really done with, you keep working at it. At various points throughout the novel, she comes across problems that she doesn't know how to solve, that there are different things that her magic she thinks cannot do, that she cannot do. And then she has to think and overcome it and kind of create things that have never existed before. Um, potions and spells that can do what had previously been impossible to her, that even though she is just a, like a nymph and a kind of a lower level than the Olympian gods, she can stop them from coming to her island. She can lay out that much power and it has a cost to it, but she can work out how to do it. And it's that kind of invention and that inventive spirit, which I really liked about her character. Now, throughout the novel, she is visited by uh, various different characters from Greek mythology. For example, Medea and Jason. She uh, is taken to the birth of the Minotaur, the mother of which is her sister. So you meet like King Minos. You meet various like nymphs and things and sort of the earlier portion. And some of these stories I was familiar with, at least sort of basically from like children's books and stuff about myths from like decades ago. Um, but it was still kind of interesting because they turn up and you're like, aha, I know what's going to happen. But then you kind of don't know, which is an interesting spin. For example, she is called to tend her sister in childbirth. Uh, and you kind of know that, you know, her sister's married to Minus. Uh, Daedalus comes to c collect Cersei and he's like, oh, this is all my fault. You're like, ah, I know what she's pregnant with. It's the Minotaur. And then you have to kind of wait and see what's going to be revealed to Cersei, what she's going to find out about, and then there are other aspects to the myth that you didn't know. So that's also very interesting. There's also a really kind of feminist take on power and trust and love in sort of the second half of the novel. We find out why Cersei ends up turning so many men to pigs when they visit her island, and there was kind of a, a moment of justice in that, a, a really good, it kind of felt like one of those movies like a promising young woman you see you know men doing terrible things and being punished for it or attempting to do terrible things and then being punished for it 
and you kind of go through the stages of grief and anger with Cersei herself and then her relationship with Odysseus and everything that follows and it feels very cathartic it's a very good story and it's layered with witchcraft on so many different levels not just the fact that Cersei is a witch but in the way she talks about power in the way she talks about womanhood and skill and her isolation it is a very impressive book and it's always hard for me to talk about books that are so good because I feel like when you're trying to talk about it you can just say like it's good and it takes a while to work out how something is good because we tend to realize why something is bad because that's obvious but if everyone knew what made an excellent book then everyone would write those uh, but this is kind of a rare thing it's probably one of the books that i've enjoyed the most through my reading for the podcast i am going to keep it i am going to photograph that page that i read to you and stick it into my book of shadows so i can look at it again and again and again and it is a, an incredibly rewarding book and one that i think you should definitely get your hands on and read um because i don't think i've ever read anything like it i hope you've enjoyed this review if you have any other books that you'd like to recommend to me drop them in the comments section on the youtube version of this podcast episode or send them over to me via twitter you can also send them by email i check that maybe once a month um so you know if you're prepared to wait good on you uh, and in the meantime, I'll see you in the next episode.